Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom. Hi, Mom. Hi, Chandler. How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Absolutely. I'm very ready. I always love to go on adventures with you. All right, let's give it a whirl. Let's do. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're having so much in the so much. Oops. Okay, I'm just messing up here, left and right. We are definitely having so much fun during the holiday season. There's so many good foods and drinks and things to do. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you all so much uh, for uh, choosing us, uh, for uh, listening to uh, uh, wherever you are in this great country of ours, wherever you are in this wonderful world. Um, so uh, this is actually the second part of a two-part episode about Neville Chamberlain. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I'd highly encourage you to do that, where we uh, took a look um, at his chart. Also during that session, we went ahead and without mom knowing who it was or what we were talking about, uh, we had her look at uh, Neville Chamberlain and what his chart looked like um, and the transits, how they affected him on the date of the famous Munich Agreement in 1938. Uh, so uh, we'll go ahead and splice that little part in now, catch you up, and then uh, I will go and talk about what happened uh, during uh, the famous Munich Agreement. All right. Uh, well, at this time, I think I uh, want to take a look and see uh, how this person's chart relates to a specific day in his life. All right. And uh, what is the date that you want to look at? The 30th uh-huh. of September. All right. 1938. All right, so you can see this? Yes. All right. On this day, the moon is in Sag. The moon is at 19 degrees Sag. So the moon is conjunct by degree, his Saturn. So whatever this is, it's an emotional lesson. And it has to do with his... Um, how he's seen by other people and it is Sagittarius so it's probably some sort of um, ride into the fray behavior. Sagittarius is very bold and uh, 
it would have to do with his image. Then we have Jupiter almost conjunct his natal Mercury. So transiting Jupiter is at 23 degrees and his natal Mercury is 29 degrees. So that's fairly close. So there must be some sort of communication. This Jupiter would have activated this Mercury. You know what I mean? Because this transiting Jupiter is activating this. If there's nothing here, it might not be activated. But somehow this Jupiter is activating this Mercury, which is communications with groups of people. Saturn is in Aries on this day. Well, uh, uh, in general, I mean, these, these, these take a while to go through, you know? So Saturn is transiting. Saturn is at 15 degrees and his natal Jupiter is at 20 and his Neptune is at 16. So it's possible that this Saturn could be activating his Neptune. It could be confusing things. It could be um, affecting both his Neptune and his Jupiter in Aries, making him learn a lesson or holding him back because Saturn also holds things back and puts restrictions on things. He has transiting Uranus in Taurus, uh, act, it's, um, affecting his natal Pluto and his natal moon. So Uranus is at 17 degrees. So it's literally right in between both of these in his fifth house. That's unexpected things. Um, unexpected financial things. Uranus and Taurus in general is going to affect the economy, mm, goods, commodities, all of this money is going to affect And this is, this is a slow-moving planet. Yeah, Uranus is not fast. So it would have been affecting this for some time before right. and after, uh, leading up to it. We're in the Great Depression. So. Okay, well... Yeah, <laughs> that's very Uranus and Taurus. Unexpected. He has Chiron. He has all of these things on this day really connected to his natal chart, you know, like transiting Chiron in Cancer is almost conjunct. Chiron is at, I can't see this, nine. Chiron is at nine degrees cancer and his natal Uranus is at 13. So this transiting Chiron wounded healer is conjunct his Uranus. So again, unexpected things, unexpected things, unexpected things uh, coming out of the blue. Now he has Pluto transiting his eighth house which is intense. So transiting Pluto is at one degree Leo. 
And that's not really, that's not really conjunct his Mars or his North Node. But if this time of birth is correct, Pluto transiting your eighth house is going to be like double death and rebirth. This whole situation is all about death and rebirth, but slow, you know, uh, Pluto is painfully slow and has the burning down to take you all the way to ashes and then the rebirth. That's also power. And it is power. I mean, this Pluto could activate his Mars and his North node, right? He has Jupiter activating his, his second house, his, um, his Mercury at 29 degrees Aquarius. That's groups of people. And this Pluto can activate this North node and uh, Mars in Leo because it's Pluto and Leo. So, and it's transiting the house, which on Placidus houses, he has no house cusp, but this Pluto is transiting it. So it's activating it in his ninth house. He has Mars, Neptune, Mercury. Yeah. And see, look, this Mars and Neptune and Mercury are opposing his Venus and his son and his Chiron in the ninth house. So this ninth house situation with regard to travel, organization, um, philosophy, dogma, higher education, all of these things are transiting his ninth house. They're in Virgo with Neptune right in the middle of it. Neptune making things not clear. Neptune and Virgo don't go well together because Virgo wants precise and Neptune veils everything. It makes everything like you're seeing it through a blur. You're, everything is blurry. You're not getting the right information. And that's really intense when you're dealing with Mercury and Mars at the same time, you know? So something is not clear. Whatever it is, the direction is not. The communication of the direction is not clear. Communication, Mercury, direction, Mars. Neptune, not clear. You see this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Then the sun has moved into Libra, but it's not in his 10th house yet. Actual North Node and Venus are in Scorpio at this time in his 11th house. So somehow the direction is with the groups of people for him. And it's in Scorpio, which is his north node is at 15 degrees Leo, true north node. See, he has north node, transiting north node, squaring his north node. In Scorpio, the transiting north node is in Scorpio, which is ruled by Pluto. Okay. He has Pluto transiting his north node. There's a lot going on here. This is, I would say that whatever this is, this is a very karmic situation. He's trying because it's Venus. I would say he's definitely trying to help groups of people. Is any of this making any sense? Yes. Oh, okay. So do you have any questions? Because it's really hard to just uh, 
blindly name off, you know, what these aspects are without having any information at all. But apparently I'm somehow touching on things. So, um, how would he do in a negotiation on this day? There is a lot going on here that is out of his control. All right. There's a lot going on here that is not in control of the other party. It's in control of the universe. All right. Um, as far as negotiations, he has Jupiter almost conjunct his Mercury in Aquarius. So I would say there's a very good chance that he has some extra help communicating, or he should. He has all of this Virgo, Mars, Neptune, and Mercury opposing all of his Pisces. That can lend energy to the situation. There is some issue with clarity. I would say that not all the information is revealed or he doesn't have all the information or he's going on a hunch because it's not verbatim. You know what I mean? If this Neptune was not here in between this Mars and Mercury in Virgo, then I would say, oh, you've got Mars conjunct Mercury in Virgo. Go forward. You know, you've got this. But this Neptune is there, which is creating an issue. Not everything is revealed or he's not revealing everything. There's something about secrets and not having all the information. I would think that in his, he's very powerful right now, but he has a situation with unexpected things. Something that he is either going to heal or he's going to learn from or both. Again, with the unexpected emotional things, unexpected, he could have been taken from a lower level and jolted up to the leader. You know what I mean? With this Uranus, anything, it's all, it, it's, it's just anything could happen. Okay. With Uranus conjunct Pluto and moon. I mean, it could be out of unexpected death. It could be unexpected power. It could be unexpected revelations, um, epiphany. There's a lot. So I would say he could be very powerful with negotiations, but he's going to have to either go on a hunch or he is trying to keep information hidden or he doesn't have all the information, that kind of thing. Uh, are there any other final thoughts on uh, this chart and his chart on this day is it very clear as mud yeah well I, I i think that it's possible that with that being clear as mud that maybe we're not we don't have the right birth time but i don't know um if this is just really muddy and i'm that far off then more than likely we don't have the right birth time but whether we have the right birth time or not we're still going to be dealing with Pluto aspecting Mars and North Node in Leo. That would lend power 
death and rebirth to the situation. It's just not necessarily instant. Okay. Then we do have Chiron aspecting his natal Uranus in Cancer, which is going to put him in an unexpected situation of needing to nurture or even as basic as needing to feed people something that you need to do. It has to do with taking something difficult and making it heal, making it work. Um, no matter what house it's in, we have Uranus absolutely aspecting his moon and his Pluto in Taurus. That means He's either unexpectedly put into power or his power is unexpectedly taken away. Whatever it is, it's unexpected. And it has to do with emotions and the aspects of Pluto, which are death and rebirth, power, um, you know, dark things, occult even. He's dealing with Saturn aspecting his Jupiter and his Neptune. This is lessons with the hidden things, which is Neptune, veiled, creativity. And it's, 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 mm, it is made even bigger, huge, because Jupiter makes everything bigger. So this whole situation here with this Neptune and Jupiter and Saturn, this lesson is really big and huge. And it's Aries, war, Mars, war, leadership, uh, direction, something along that line. We've already talked about the Jupiter and the Mercury in Aquarius, which is aspecting this Mercury, making it bigger, making it more important. And, uh, no matter what, he still has these situa this situation with all this Virgo, you know, no matter what house it's in, it's going to oppose his natal sun, his natal Venus, and his natal Chiron. Then sun in Libra, transiting sun in Libra, can make things, can make him possibly see or have to look at the fairness, the, the equal uh, negotiations, anything like that. And then North Node in Scorpio. North Node in Scorpio is dealing with endings. North Node is the direction. Transiting North Node in Scorpio is dealing with Plutonian things. And North node is at transiting North node is at 15 degrees Scorpio and transiting Venus is at 20. So these two are connect. So it could be, I mean, they're conjunct. So it could be dealing with endings of things ruled by Venus, money, um, property, um, love. Is there anything else I can, I don't know if there, I don't know if there is anything else I can do with this until I know the story. 
Well, I think at this time we are ready for a summary of uh, our findings for the 30th of September, 1938. Uh, you start off saying that uh, this person would be learning an emotional lesson mm -hmm. uh, and that it's connected to how he's seen. Uh, this could be a bold decision that he's making, something riding into the fray. Uh, this day involves communicating with groups of people. Uh, there are confusing things at play. Uh, he's going to learn a lesson, and something might be holding him back. Uh, there are a lot of unexpected things at play that could be tied to finances and the economy. Um, there is some sort of slow death and rebirth happening uh, all around this time period, um, and power uh, in his own life during this time period. Things are not clear. Communication is not clear. Uh, there is a direction with groups of people. This is a very karmic situation. He is trying to help groups of people. A lot is out of his control, um, and he has he needs extra help with communicating. Not everything is revealed. He may be working on a hunch. Uh, things are secret to him, to everyone. Uh, he is powerful in this moment. Uh, he could learn from something unexpected, uh, unexpected and emotional things. Uh, he could be jolted into leadership. There could be some sort of epiphany happening here. Uh, he needs to nurture uh, groups of people at this time. Uh, there is a lesson in war and in leadership, and it is a huge lesson. Uh, he is forced to look at fairness and balance in his negotiations. Uh, there could be dealing with a lot of death and power. Uh, there could be some sort of end of love or money, property, prosperity. Anything that I've left out about this day? No, I'm just as confused as I can be. So, yeah, there's a lot going on with this guy. And we're back. So uh, this is the day of the Munich Agreement. So what happened? Um, Neville Chamberlain really uh, was not uh, necessarily enthused about foreign policy decisions. Um, uh, he was much more of a domestic policy uh, uh, leader. Uh, this was... Um, uh, the idea of a lot of people uh, during this time, we had just come out of World War I, uh, the worst war, um, uh, hundreds of thousands uh, dead, and um, through the worst means, gassing and trenches and all of that, um, that the idea was that was the war to end all wars. Uh, so uh, we need to do everything possible to avoid another war like that. Uh, and this gets us into the idea of appeasement. Uh, uh, so uh, the in the 1920s, uh, the fascists took over in Italy. In the 1930s, the Nazis uh, took over in Germany. And uh, they, uh, under Hitler, um, 
had very expansionist goals to recreate the Reich and even make it uh, bigger than it used to be. Um, uh, after World War I, uh, Germany was cut up into all sorts of pieces. New countries were formed um, and things were taken away uh, that had traditionally been a part uh, of the German Reich. And uh, Hitler uh, wanted to bring all those uh, pieces back into the Reich and then some. And uh, the idea going into the mid-30s was... Maybe we had gone too far. The Allies had gone too far uh, in punishing Germany for World War I. And so maybe uh, things should be given back to Germany that were taken away. Uh, and Chamberlain definitely had that idea going into uh, his uh, term as prime minister, uh, that possibly we can pacify the Germans by giving them back some of their colonies in Africa or um, giving them back the uh, Alsace region, something along those lines. Um, and so uh, he was really focused, Chamberlain was, on uh, getting past whatever foreign policy squabbles there were so that he could focus back in on the domestic stuff going on inside uh, Great Britain. Uh, this uh, went along uh, the lines of when Italy uh, invades Ethiopia. Um, there were a lot of people who were upset but didn't necessarily want to start a war over it. And so Chamberlain comes up with the idea of we're just going to not do anything and we're going to let uh, uh, Mussolini take over Ethiopia. Um, and then uh, in 1938, in the early part of the year, uh, there's the Anschluss. Uh, so Hitler uh, takes over Austria. Uh, he uh, sends uh, the army in. Austria asks for help and nobody does anything. Um, uh, Chamberlain, uh, the France, all these other powers say it's not worth fighting a war over. We don't want a war like we just had. Uh, so Hitler takes over Austria and uh, then Hitler sets his sights on the Sudetenland. Prior to World War I, Czechoslovakia was not a country. Uh, it was formed after uh, the Treaty of Versailles, uh, and it was formed from a whole bunch of different groups of people, mm. obviously the Czechs and the Slovaks, but there are also ethnic Germans and Poles and Hungarians that were uh, in this new country. And there's this area uh, that bordered Germany called the Sudetenland that had three million ethnic Germans inside of it. Mm. And Hitler uh, said that those three million Germans deserve to be inside of Germany, that they should not be inside this separate country. Mm -hmm. um, Czechoslovakia had agreements with France and with the USSR to come to their aid if Germany invaded. It did not have an agreement with uh, the United Kingdom at that time, but most likely if France found itself in a war with Germany, uh, Great Britain would come to France's aid. Uh, this situation really started to boil up uh, into the spring and summer of 1938. And uh, in a speech uh, at the uh, Nuremberg rally in September of 1938, Hitler said that it was untenable and that uh, something would have to be done to get uh, the Sudetenland into the Third Reich. Um, as soon as he made uh, that proclamation, Chamberlain uh, sent a note over to Hitler asking to meet with him to try and mediate uh, the situation. Mm -hmm. And on September 15th, Chamberlain flew for the first time in his life. He got in an airplane and flew uh, to the Reich, and he uh, takes a train into the uh, Berchtesgarten, uh, the Fuhrer's uh, castle, uh, and he met with Hitler personally. 
It was a three-hour meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of it, uh, Hitler made this oral agreement that uh, there could be a timetable of several months to allow uh, the uh, all the people who were not German to leave the Sudetenland, and uh, that at the end of that, uh, the Sudetenland would be officially absorbed into the Reich. Uh, Chamberlain gave in uh, to whatever uh, Hitler wanted. Uh, uh, but was agreeing to this longer timetable of all of these things, and that it, this would all be predicated upon the people in the Sudetenland getting a vote, that if they voted to leave uh, Czechoslovakia and join the Third Reich, that only then would all of this happen. Then we get into a few days later, and September 22nd, um, uh, Chamberlain meets again with Hitler, and Hitler throws out the agreement. He mm. says uh, that none of it is good anymore, that uh, we need to uh, get uh, uh, the Sudetenland now. We must occupy the Sudetenland at this very moment. Uh, he makes up all of these things about things that are being uh, done to uh, the German-speaking people in the Sudetenland, and that this is untenable, and that uh, we have to... Uh, uh, march in uh, uh, by the end of this week, um, and uh, that there's no timetable, this is immediate occupation, that the Polish and Hungarians have to uh, get rid of any claims they have uh, inside of Czechoslovakia, that all the Czechs and Slovaks have to leave the Sudetenland. Um, and uh, so uh, going into September 22nd and 23rd, Chamberlain is again meeting with Hitler. These discussions took forever. They all take forever because Hitler doesn't want there to be an agreement. Mm -hmm. Hitler wants there to be a war. Mm -hmm. And Chamberlain is dead set on there not being a war mm -hmm. and gives in to whatever Hitler demands. And Hitler doesn't know what to do because he wants the war. He doesn't want the agreement. He wants to take over all of Czechoslovakia. He is absolutely uh, uh, flabbergasted that the Western powers are giving him what he wants because he's trying to be as petulant as possible to start a war. Um, but finally, they have an agreement on the 23rd saying that all of the Czechs need to be out of the Sudetenland um, by uh, the end of the week. And then Hitler pulls Chamberlain aside and says, well, because I like you so much, we'll make it October 1st. I'll give you a couple more days. Uh, so Chamberlain, first of all, none of this is with the Czechs involved in the negotiating table at all. This is Chamberlain on his own because he doesn't trust the French uh, to, to do their part of the bargaining. Uh, and um, he knows that the Czechs are going to stand up for themselves. So Chamberlain thinks in order to prevent a war, I need to sell the Czechs out on this. And so uh, then there is uh, another uh, uh, week that goes by and we get into... Uh uh, September 29th. By this point, um, Hitler is is foaming at the mouth. He is really trying to get this war to happen. The, he had this plan all the way from the beginning of this year of 1938. He was going to take over Austria, and he was going to start a world war over Czechoslovakia. Uh, and uh, so he is uh, throwing out the previous agreement that he had with Chamberlain, but then uh, he uh, gets uh, the, the other powers to come to the table. So France the United Kingdom, Germany, and Italy all meet in Munich. And this is an hours-long uh, 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 discussion that happens. And and uh, Hitler has all of these guys who, who pop in and say, uh, uh, there's news that the uh, Czechs are uh, attacking Germans in the 
Satanland. Uh, this means war. We must fight the war now. And then they'd leave the room. Uh, and so uh, the paranoia strikes within uh, all of the leaders in this room. And uh, finally, there's this Italian plan that Mussolini supposedly brings up. But most likely, it was a plan handed to him by Hitler. But to make it look like Italy is the uh, moderate one in the room, uh, that uh, says everything that Hitler wants. That uh, Kind of. I mean, except that Hitler actually wants this to be a, a war right now. but uh, uh, hands over the Sudetenland on a silver platter uh, says uh, that this happens by October 1st um, and uh, that uh, uh, all of these people are going to be evacuated or become German uh, citizens or not. They'll just be part of the German Reich. And uh, uh, the, the agreement is signed at 1.30 in the morning. And uh, Chamberlain then meets with Hitler separately, and he goes to him and he says, uh, I have a separate agreement here. It's three paragraphs, and it says that this is the last thing, this is the last territorial claim that you're making, and uh, that England and Germany will never go to war with each other. And uh, Hitler says, yeah, yeah, and signs the piece of paper right there. And uh, Chamberlain is said to have left that room so immensely proud and happy that he has this agreement, that we have peace, that there will not be a war. He is padding his breast pocket where the agreement is uh, so uh, uh, proud uh, of all of this that he had stopped the war. And inside the room, uh, Ribbentrop goes up to Hitler and says, why did you just sign that piece of paper? And Hitler says, oh, don't take it seriously. That piece of paper is of no further significance. I just handed him what he wanted to get out of the room. And uh, so Neville Chamberlain comes back, and it is this huge ceremony that he returns on the airplane, and he's waving this piece of paper, and he says, I have done it. We have peace in our time. Um, and uh, sold out uh, the people of um, uh, the Sudetenland uh, to the Reich, believing that this would end the war. But... One year later, in the fall of 1939, uh, Hitler wants to have Poland, and he uh, uh, invades Poland uh, in uh, October of 1939. By this point, Chamberlain uh, really did believe that there would be... Um, uh, war, that there's no way of avoiding the war. Uh, and he says that if Hitler invades uh, and remains in Poland, that Great Britain will do everything possible to protect the people of Poland and that a state of war will exist uh, uh, within uh, uh, the people of Britain and Germany. And three days later on September 3rd, war is declared. Um, what's uh, really important about all of this is that starting in 1935, when he wasn't even, uh, when he was just Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, Chamberlain had uh, done a lot to rearm uh, Great Britain. Uh, he is the one really uh, uh, spearheading the uh, movements towards radar uh, technology and getting more Spitfires and hurricanes, uh, airplanes uh, created. Um, and uh, so... England would not have been able to fight really at all without these things happening years before. And in the year between Munich and when the war starts, Chamberlain as prime minister really works up the rearmament that we have to be ready. Uh, even though I hope that this will all work out, that we need to be able to fight this war. Um, but 
uh, didn't uh, he didn't prevent the war that he really hoped that he was doing. Um, then, uh, as a wartime prime minister, there are just these uh, series of errors that happen. Um, I mean, Hitler had a whole nother year to prepare for the war. Uh, so as soon as France and Britain uh, declare war against uh, the Nazis, uh, he uh, has already taken over all the parts of Poland he wants. He turns west and uh, takes over France uh, within a, a number of weeks, really. Um, and then uh, he uh, the, there's the huge um, evacuation at Dunkirk, uh, which uh, is mostly a military failure outside of the fact of all of the civilians who showed up in rowboats to try and get those um, soldiers off of Dunkirk and back into England. Um, and then there's the idea of Norway, that we have to, that the, the British need to protect the ports that are in Norway to stop the Germans from occupying it. And that is a huge disaster. It doesn't happen. Um, Quisling in Sweden allows uh, Hitler to go right through Sweden to Norway and um, it, it's just a huge disaster. And so by May of 1940, uh, there are uh, calls for Chamberlain to resign, that he is um, not a, a worthy prime minister. Uh, one of the ministers, uh, Leo Amory, comes to uh, the... Um, floor of parliament uh, and he quotes uh, Oliver Cromwell he says uh, Neville Chamberlain you have sat here too long for any good you are doing depart I say and let us have done with you in the name of God go uh, and uh, Chamberlain realizing uh, that he does not have the rest of the country behind him. He's still really um, popular within the Conservative Party of Great Britain, but he doesn't have the whole country, and in order to fight this war, he needs the whole country behind the leader of the nation. Mm -hmm. He goes uh, to King George and he resigns. And what he could have done is uh, someone who is much more popular, both uh, in the uh, uh, political circles of the nation um, and even within the party itself would have been Lord Halifax uh, to say, uh, King George, I ask you to make Lord Halifax the next prime minister. But he doesn't. He says Winston Churchill. Uh, and uh, Churchill had been a political pariah for most of this time. He's just brought back in once war is declared because of how staunch he is against the fascists and uh, how much he believes that uh, Britain need to be militarizing this whole time. Chamberlain says that Churchill should be the man. And uh, so uh, King George asks Churchill to form a government. Churchill keeps Chamberlain in the cabinet. Uh, there are times where his uh, better friend, Lloyd George, uh, he offers him to be in the cabinet, but only after asking Chamberlain. And Chamberlain still hates Lloyd George so much that Lloyd George is still kept out of the cabinet. Um, but... Um, uh, then uh, he becomes very sick uh, going into the summer and fall of 1940, and uh, Chamberlain uh, passes away in November of 1940 from bowel cancer. Um, the legacy of Chamberlain. It is um, immense, and it all ties into uh, uh, this, this day uh, in, in um, 1938. Um, you can look at it from all these different angles. Of course, there is. he was a man who was an excellent domestic policy person who was put into this period of history that needed someone who was more uh, of a hawk on um, war uh, and foreign policy issues. Um, I think of it a little bit like Lyndon Johnson. 
Johnson was um, excellent in getting bills passed, but wasn't necessarily up to the task of uh, waging a war. Um, but that's what was given to him. Um, Chamberlain, very similarly, he was someone who was a domestic reformer, an excellent uh, 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 chancellor of the exchequer, of the treasury, of the health department, um, ran up the ranks and then finds himself uh, that he has to make all these military decisions that he wasn't necessarily prepared for. Um, but you can also look at it as what real choice did he have? Um, if he had gone into uh, this uh, meeting with Hitler and said, we're going to go to war with you over um, Czechoslovakia, all of the people in England would have been furious right. with him. Uh, they would have said that he was a warmonger. Mm. They would have um, uh, ran him out on a rail um, uh, to, to send uh, uh, the British uh, boys back into war over something happening in a country that they hadn't heard of. Um, that was um, anathema in the politics of the moment. Um, so he was just uh, in in one way of thinking of it, he's just trying to make the best deal that he could for the people of Czechoslovakia because he allowed it to still remain a country. German, uh, Germany was going to take over Czechoslovakia all the way. Uh, uh, not make it a country anymore. But because of the negotiations and the diplomacy um, that uh, Chamberlain brings to the table, Germany just takes over the Sudetenland and not the whole country, at least not for another couple months. Um, there's also this whole thing of what had happened if Chamberlain had a stiffer backbone about this and had said that he was going to go to war. Well, there's this idea that there were people working within the Nazi party that if war was declared in September of 1938, that they would have assassinated Hitler and brought peace um, and uh, to the table uh, as a way of avoiding war at all costs. Mm. Um, this comes from multiple sources and it is brought up during the Nuremberg trials uh, that happened at the end of the war that they pin everything on Chamberlain. These Nazi conspirators say that they would have killed Hitler absolutely and taken control to prevent a war in 1938. Um, and this is another thing that a lot of historians bring against Chamberlain, that if he had uh, stuck up for the people of Czechoslovakia better uh, and said that he was going to go to war, then it's possible that Hitler would have been killed years earlier. But these are all just guesses. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they certainly had the same opportunity a year later when they went to war and they didn't kill him then. Um, so it's kind of hard to really hold that against Chamberlain. Um, he also, because of what he does in Munich, he gives Germany another year to prepare for the war. But he also gave Britain another year to prepare for the war. Um, Germany's uh, military position was uh, not uh, clearly not as uh, great as it was. Uh, was in 1939. Um, there are some people who say that the Czech army on their own could have held Hitler off for a while, um, especially if the Czech army had um, French and English support, even in just munitions, it could have held Hitler off because of how weakened it was at that moment and because of how unpopular a war would have been within Germany. Um, so if 
England had gone to war in 38 instead of 39. Um, is it possible that the war would have been over sooner? These are all things that we can just guess about. We know what did happen, and we know why Chamberlain did it. And uh, it has forever been, in the terms of diplomacy, um, people always refer to when someone gives in to a dictatorial power as it being another Munich. Mm. Um, uh, and that's his legacy forever, is uh, that decision that he made. But in a way, he was doing the best he could with what he had available to him. Um, and he prepared Britain in that extra year uh, with radar and with more Spitfires and Hurricanes so that in 1940 and 41, um, although he did not live to see it, Britain wins the Battle of Britain. He, they chase off the Luftwaffe um, because of all the technology that was invested in uh, during Chamberlain's tenure. Um, so it's a very mixed bag of history um, regarding Chamberlain and this time period. Um, it is, uh, reading into like some of these encounters, uh, it's also interesting in that it does kind of seem like Chamberlain is completely duped by Hitler. Mm -hmm. That Chamberlain truly believes what this guy is saying. Um, and, and there are so many, like, I, I recently read uh, this year um, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, and the author was a reporter uh, who, uh, an English-speaking reporter uh, in uh, Germany during the time, and could see, uh, he was privy to seeing Chamberlain meeting with Hitler, and just seeing, it's, it's almost... Uh, like sycophantic isn't the right word, but it, it's just wide-eyed optimism that Hitler's really saying uh, uh, and 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 is going to follow through on what he's saying that this is the last time that I'm not going to ask for anything more after the Sudetenland. And Chamberlain's so happy with it um, that he's able to negotiate this peace. Um, that it, it, it's it, it's a fascinating personality uh, to try and delve into, and uh, maybe at a later time we will tackle the even bigger personality of Hitler, oh. um, and seeing that at this same moment. Um, but um, uh, j just reading that encounter between these two and what was really going on uh, in his head and. I, what, why I have uh, such an affinity for this first chart is the interception which prevents um, Leo and Aquarius things. The other side of Aquarius is totalitarianism. Right. Uh, so not being able to access that, not being able to get into the mind of a totalitarian and communicating with that totalitarian right. um, would prevent him from seeing what these next moves he's making are going to do. And also um, that same thing with Leo that it's uh, being prevented. Um, he's prevented from accessing everything there. Absolutely. I think that this interception if the concept of interceptions is correct, because many people don't even work with Placidus houses, it, it just depends on what astrologer you're discussing it with. But in this situation, after hearing all of these things about Neville Chamberlain, a lot more of this chart makes sense. And it is, I mean... It's really easy to judge after the fact. It's very easy mm -hmm. for people who judge to judge after the fact. Well, I would have done this or I would have done that. But the fact is that Hitler mesmerized 
uh, a huge amount of people to do heinous things. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Hitler could have, you know, jovially made this gentleman believe him is nothing. Hitler made people do heinous things and they did right. them. And it's like, okay, so now you're going to judge this one man who was in the room with this master manipulator? No, that's not fair. But with that in mind, uh, this person, uh, I feel that he was very passionate about everything he was doing. And I feel that his passion was based in Aquarian things. Uh, being the, um, being the voice of groups of people, right? And also nurturing groups of people in a new and different way. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, not being able to access his North Node and Mars in Leo at any point in time and not being able to access his Mercury in Aquarius in the second house, um, unless they were activated is an issue. Um, he has Neptune conjunct Jupiter in Aries. So that's Neptune being veiled, not knowing exactly what's happening, but then multiplied by Jupiter. So in a lot of ways, he's veiled and he doesn't know what's happening in the leadership area. But again, he's also very creative super creative with his with his leadership right yeah so a lot of the things that are in this particular chart with this rising sign etc do play out but uh and also you know having all this pisces and 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 chiron conjunct his son wanting to heal he wants to heal. And Pisces is the spiritual healer. So it's not necessarily physically healing. It was like healing the country, healing mm -hmm. the people, avoiding war, you know, all these different things that he stood for. Very interesting man. I mean, you can't blame the man for trying to avoid uh, what happened. <laughs> and yeah. he didn't even know what was going to happen. But I mean, I just, I, I, I feel for him. I feel for him in many ways. I believe he was very intensely, um, devoted to what he was trying to do. He couldn't have not, he had to be devoted because of all this fire, you know? But, mm -hmm. um, I think maybe he was way ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. Well, I think on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, this is, um, it's close. Mm -hmm. It's, it's pretty close. Um, the, the, there aren't necessarily all the things that you would, um, necessarily expect right. uh, to be the major things in his life, but, um, there are, um, a, a lot of things that do bear out. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I think that it, it's, it's pretty close. I think so. I, uh, I believe that all of the information and all the research that you've offered on Neville Chamberlain is very uh, beneficial 
uh, to people who really enjoy studying this time in history. It's very good, Chandler. <laughs> uh well uh that brings us to the end of this episode uh thank you all so much for listening uh if you would uh like to reach out and support the show we have all sorts of links provided in the show description uh facebook instagram our youtube channel uh we have episodes uh, from our first uh, season uh, that have visual components now so you can follow along with the charts uh as uh, mom goes through them um and uh, please uh, subscribe uh, uh, to uh, that channel um, and uh, we have our PayPal account uh, if you'd like to reach out uh, financially and help us there uh, every little bit helps us in making a better quality show and uh, expanding our audience and if you would like to be your very own mystery history guest or give the gift of being a mystery history guest um, just email Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com she can get with you with more details on how to make that happen. I would love to make that happen i love interacting with all of you guys it's so much fun and i love being the person that many of you come to to ask advice that's it's just right in your chart it's right there so um i really appreciate that and if you want to find anything you can go to the website which is www.historyandretrograde.com and you can get anywhere we are online and um, I just want to say, wow, you guys are awesome. I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Salau Creek Studios.